Okay, this is a 30-second commercial, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but please stay with me. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years, and anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24-7. That company is Geico. Go to geico.com today. Sorry for all the numbers. And in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, I'm out of time. Now, Podcast One brings you Spike's Car Radio. A downloadable Cars and Coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Spike's Car Radio. Hope you're having a nice time. Hope it's not raining. Hope your sunroof is open. Hope your top is down. We're recording this uh, yesterday. So this is a right-up-to-the-moment show, Zuckerman. We are posting it... uh, the day before 4th of July. A celebration of Americana. You, yeah, what are you doing for the 4th? Are you around? I'm going to be on Point Doom, and as you know... That's uh, in uh, Malibu. Point that mic to your face. I'm you should so know sorry. better, I know better. I'm such a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let me declare now. Okay, I'm a dope. I've been educated beyond my intelligence. I have a trick that makes me money, but otherwise I'm a fucking idiot. I like that, educated beyond your intelligence. Yes. I've not been educated up to my intelligence. That's your then problem. We're in the inverse, right? Yeah. yeah. No, That's I, why I'm we meet s- in the middle. W- right. Yes. yes. Then we complement each other. That's right. And you always say I'm talking like three stooges talk, <laughs> even though I have a juris doctor <laughs> in the law, but I sound like I'm mo. You moron. You, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you fucking dope. <laughs> what, you got rocks in your head? I'm sticking around too. I'm going to be around. I'm going to. Uh, I was. Dri- I'm going to drive cars, and I have to give you a compliment. I gave you one this morning. I'll give it to you on the air. Um, you know, I I had lost my way ta- uh, driving the cars during the week, and I and I've said this once or twice in an Instagram post, but it really is making my day great to get up on a Monday morning and get into the sports car in my garage instead of my Range Rover Sport. Every time I pull out of my driveway, I thank Zuckerman. For and you didn't tell me to do this. You are just always doing it. You're always driving your cars to work. I see it on your Instagram feed, and it ma- it makes you happy. Whatever yes. it is, yes, it's the fruits of your labor. It's what you enjoy. Why deprive yourself? Don't get caught in a rut of being an old guy with two young kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was suffer- I was like, I should suffer. It's Monday, so I'll just drive my SUV. But no. Monday's a shitstorm. You got to take your pleasure when you can get yes. it. Yes, it's like being shot out of a cannon all day long. It's just problem after fucking problem after fucking problem. <laughs> so you might as well have a moment where you go, "God, this is great." When you get in the car, yeah, yes. And I already knew this. I already knew but it. You but I'm rediscovering it again. Carnesia, as you know, rediscover. We, we we keep losing knowledge. We had. I'll tell you what else. Uh, our old friend, this is the second week in a row we've spoken about t- uh, Sonny Nutter. Sonny came by the house and dropped off my motorcycles, <laughs> which he was, uh, he gets them ready for the summer season, and he put uh, velocity stacks on the Triumph, on oh, the 66, right? Oh. You know, it's got those air filters, those big round yes. ones, and they block the, the fuel petcocks. It's been a... Petcocks. He didn't even... That's right. He block, didn't... Block my petcock. He didn't even ask me if I wanted those replaced. He just did it. And he said, where do you drive this thing, right? Which you never know with Sonny what that means, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I got on this bike last night, 
right before dark and rode through the hills in Brentwood, and it was just like someone had pulled uh, mucus plugs out of the nose of the engine. The thing was just breathing, and it was riding like a modern the bike. The mucus plug is what <laughs> comes out of a woman right before she's about to give birth, Ferristan. That's really a fucking disgusting... Right, okay, I'm trying to think of the other... <laughs> a <analogy>. booger. <laughs> it's just a booger. Something, you know, I don't know. Whatever he did to this thing, it's a brand... You know, and I know you're going to be upset because I'm going to be riding his motorcycle a lot more. But boy, does it drive well. I, now, I can't, I'm losing my we mind. We love Sonny, but he can talk up a, 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 what do they call it, a blue streak? Yeah. He can he talk can. a blue streak. He knows. Did, did, did you have an exit strategy in mind before I did. he came over? Yes. Yes. Now, remember this, listeners. There are certain people in your lives that you know you're, you're going you're gonna to encounter, and it is a, you have to have an exit strategy with That's some right. people. Yeah, before they come over. And yes. I had one, <clears throat> which I did employ. And, and it worked. And it worked. Kind of. <laughs> anyway, we're talking motorcycles because um, this is a big show for us, right? We've been wanting Huge. to do the show we're doing today uh, for the last maybe year or so. These yes. are uh, If people follow you on Instagram, they see occasionally Hell's Angels memorabilia, uh, your association with something called the Outlaw Archive. I think most people are scratching their head going, what is he doing? What is he collecting? What's going on? And we've talked a lot about when we're going to bring your business partner in. Bo Bushnell, and present this to our listeners. And today is that day. It's a very exciting <clears throat> day because I met Bo about a year ago, right? I, right? I say it's a year ago today. And instantly I saw what he was doing and the genius of what he was doing. And, and I was stunned that one guy laboring with nothing more than absolute determination and obsessive and compulsion was able to put together something that academics and collectors have not been able to people the professionals that are involved in this stuff haven't been able to find so any of this shit so let's back up first of all say hi bo you hello, can, you hello, can, you hello. close lean. to the mic lean yeah in. you got to get close to the mic otherwise our people complain to me and then i blame will and he's in there nodding yep and they do and just this morning that's how my day started anyway let's just back up to this uh the simple premise before we kind of embark on what's going on here. Bo, I think, you were tracking down what exactly before you met Zuckerman? Uh, in 2013, I started tracking down former Outlaw Motorcycle Club members from the 1950s and 60s. Wow. And what led you to do that? Um, insanity, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but just the coolness of maybe what they did, this love of Americana. Why, why did you suddenly fixate on this? I came across a photo album at an estate sale in 2013, and the way it was put together was just art. And it, right. I, I saw stories. I right. saw multiple stories within this photo album. And what was in the photo album? Um, it was a, a club called the Straight Satans. They were out of the Venice Canals in the 1960s. And uh, I think it's like 150 pages. Photos labeled, uh, newspaper clippings, arrest records, death memorials. It's like a family photo album, but, but criminals <laughs> documenting their lives. It's, it's insane. You don't, and that's what's remarkable about your collection. You don't normally associate photo albums with motorcycle gangs, right? And so or much criminals, this, period. What, so what, much what this, criminal wants to document Exactly. Their... And so much of the stuff that I've seen you have is organized like grandmas organized their family stuff. <clears throat> so you, <clears throat> you notice there's this thing. 
going on there. And and this photo album starts you off on this, you know, let me see what else I can track down. Where where does it go from there? And by the way, who made the photo album? Well, women, for the most part, made these photo albums. The first photo album I got was made by a woman named Peggy. And uh, I basically extracted every name out of the album that I could find. Right. And made an Excel spreadsheet. And I think 2,000 <laughs> phone calls later, I found someone. 2,000? Probably, 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 yeah. Probably 2,000. Wow. And what did you say to this person? And I, I didn't know how to do background checks at this point. So I was paying this website, Intellius. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. I probably spent a couple thousand dollars on background checks. No, it took me nowhere. <laughs> why? Why? You know, this is, it doesn't matter. But why don't the, why don't those background checks work? Because that's the one everybody can kind of Google. Those because things don't work these well. are people who have been living off the, ah. off the grid for the last fifty years, sixty so, years. So they don't have social security numbers or no, anything they else. they do, but they don't have uh, an imprint a current, like you'll have. Yeah, right, right on my life. They have smaller lives without a lot of money, not a lot of property, and in a pre-internet age. So you start – what is your goal at that point when you're thinking, I'm going to start tracking these people down and start looking for the things they have left? Is I don't know. It, that's a good question. It was just obsession. I, I wanted to find more. Right. It was like a drug. So you didn't quite know where you were going. Like I any no wonderful creative endeavor, you don't know where it's going, but you know you've got something, right? Yes, exactly. At first I thought this would be an amazing book, and then – as I kept going and the characters opened up, I said this would make an amazing documentary. And I just kept going and going, and it snowballed out of control, basically. And what point <laughs> – <laughs> so at what point does my co-host, Mr. Zuckerman – Well, I just want to say something. <laughs> go ahead. You, go you, ahead did, go. you did 2,000 <clears throat> phone calls, and who did you eventually find? Who did you find? I found a guy named Droopy. <laughs> <laughs> Droopy. Tell us how that conversation – Get right up on that yeah. mic. How did that I, conversation go when you found this Droopy guy? I Two. called Droopy at like, I think, 1030 at night. It was probably a Friday. And uh, he answered the phone. Hello? Yeah, hi. Is this Richard Nelson? Yeah. Richard Nelson that used to live in Venice? Well, yeah. Richard Nelson that used to be in the Straight Satans? And it, he paused for like 15 seconds. And I, for, I thought the guy hung up on me. And he's like, uh, y- y- yeah, wh- wh- why? <laughs> and I told him that I had this photo album that I found his name in it. And um, he said, well, I'm on the phone with my daughter. Can you call me back in 30 minutes? <laughs> which is so bizarre. But I called him back and he invited me over to his house. He lived in the valley. Um, it wasn't a house. It was actually a garage that he lived in. Um, he had been there for probably 30 years. And uh, we spent several hours together. And then we ended up uh, spending basically nine months. Uh, we hung out. Sorry. We hung out for like nine months, probably three or four days a week. He had stage four cancer. In and, a garage? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm basically... Okay, sorry. I'm basically the only person he ever opened up to about that. And what was he telling you? Tales? Of... Well, he was Charles Manson's best friend. <clears throat> oh, so, wow. Just like, <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind of dark. Well, but he wasn't something. a dark. He wasn't a dark person. Wow. And yeah. it was he was in a way telling, sharing you. No one. He was sharing his life in the last moments. He was getting that final eviction notice of life. And he wanted to share with somebody what his life was about. Is that the sense you got? Uh, well, what what he told his his friends and family was that he could talk to me about his friends in the 1960s as if I was there. 
So is that I, something about you? I, what was it? What was the spark? Well, you have to keep in mind, I only had one photo album at this point, so I I didn't know <clears> that much about these people, but I knew the names. I studied the album enough to mm-hmm. where I knew all the names, and he just he felt comfortable because I I knew these people. But I would guess not a lot of people are knocking on his garage door to ask him questions. Now, how, no, but you... people at, at, would go up to him at Bob's Big Boy, right, and ask him all the time. So what? If did you Google he... Droopy Straight <clears throat> Satan's, did you know it. he was Charles Manson's good buddy? I had no idea. And then how uh, did that come up in conversation? Well, the straight the straight <laughs> Satans are known for their association with, with Manson. So it's kind of a, a given, but that doesn't mean right. all the members were close. He actually was a straight Satan, and then he left the straight Satans in 63, way before Manson, and became a uh, member of the Satan Slaves. Right. <laughs> Wonderful <laughs> names. <laughs> <clears throat> did he have um, any Manson stories? Uh, yeah, he had quite a few. He had a, a letter from Charles Manson. You were allowed to read that, that letter, he let right? me read. And yeah. what did it say? It was addressed to the straight Satans, the Satan slaves, and the Hell's Angels. And it was gibberish, uh, like one page long. It was actually, it's on the back of his booking paper from when he was formally charged in November of 1969 with the murders. Wow. And it the was just gibberish. It made... Gibberish about uh, uh, snitching. And drugs. Tell because, me that. Tell tell Spike <clears throat> that one line about where he was going to. It was kind of oh, scary. Said, uh, come from your downers, clear your heads, because one day soon I'm going to come up from under your beds. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he wrote to the straight Satans. The straight Satans were Manson's bodyguards, basically. Right. That's what he called them. And then he they uh, testified against him to put, put him in jail. So they snitched, which is the number one ah, no no in the right, outlaw right. world. Yeah, there's so many threads. Yeah, one of the things that we notice in in these things is that when these guys start in late 40s, 50s, there's even late late 50s. There's a certain what we call like a naive period. And if you listen to some of the stories that Bo is able to record, um, it's later that that it branches off into darkness. Right. So it's always like these movies you see, like the story arc of Scarface or or any of these other movies. Things are going good, things are fun, and then things take a turn to very dark. And and the. And I think this, you know, when, when, say, SoCal Ray was in the Straight Satans, it didn't sound all that sinister in the early days, but then certainly by the end, it was a very dark club and a very dark time, and the stuff they were up to was really, really bad. Yeah, definitely. So bad that, so bad that the bigger clubs told him, hey, you can't be in business anymore. You're, you're too mm-hmm. much trouble. Is that essentially? Well, that's, that's because they, they snitched. So uh, the other 1% clubs basically said gave him a snitch jacket is what it's called so let me just uh all right we got to take a break we got a we got a lot of commercials all of a sudden and then i want to come back and i want to kind of just give some context to what the archive is what is your goal where you guys are at so uh so the folks listening know what we're talking about here we'll be right back let me tell you something did you know most people have no idea whether or not the motor oil they're using is good enough to protect their engine Everybody's driving around not even caring about what's going on under the hood. Only one brand literally goes the extra mile to test everything, including ensuring they're the right motor oil for your car. And I'm talking about Valvoline. That's right, Valvoline is the only motor oil brand in the world with an engine lab completely dedicated to testing motor oil. Valvoline takes their products and their competitors, I might add, and runs them through the gauntlet. I'm talking thousands of miles. Then the engineers and technicians take those engines apart to evaluate exactly what happened. 
please don't try this at home. Trust that Valvoline has done it for you. Was there carbon buildup? How did the seals hold up? Did the engine perform like it was supposed to? And most importantly, were the critical engine components protected? You don't know, but Valvoline does. So when Valvoline is formulating motor oil for your engine, they know exactly how it performs and what protects it best because they've seen the results firsthand. It's why I trust Valvoline in my car, and it's why Valvoline has been trusted for more than 150 years. Head over to Valvoline.com slash spike to see what product is right for your engine. That's Valvoline.com slash spike. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. Welcome back to Spike's Car Radio and a very special episode. The Outlaw Archive fellas are here. Paul Zuckerman, Bo Bushnell. Um, Outlaw Archive uh, is the Instagram feed. It's also what you guys call your thing. Um, Zuckerman, you never really explained to us how you came into contact with Bo and then now what your overall goal is with this, if you even know, or where where the, where you think this is heading. I'll, I'm, I'm going to so, answer your second question first just to give context. There is so much material. Bo is one of these geniuses that I I tend to meet once or twice a decade where he was laboring on this on this project of discovering more and more and he's acquired so many things with such detail such layering such texture it has become truly almost an academic study of a period in American culture and so when I came along a year ago and it was through Instagram. And mm-hmm. we had mutual friends. April Light is a mutual friend. When I came along and I saw Bo and I saw the depth of what he has, and I was struck by, oh, my God, you have created a, a, an archive of the mid to late American century, the mid to late 20th century. It is everything that you and I wanted to be as kids. It's what made right. Americans cool. It, it really came into relief to me that this is – one of these American archetypes, the American icon, is the outlaw biker. Say, like the Marlboro Man. You right. know, there's no real Marlboro Man, but he's an archetype. He is a paradigm of what we would like to be, going back all the way to, say, the outlaws on the open range. These are maybe anti-heroes, but they had a code. But they said, fuck you to all the values that you and I are forced to live by. They created their own values. And they created something that is enduring. We still mm-hmm. want to be these guys. We still want to look at uh, like these guys. We, we're still fascinated mm-hmm. by these guys. And they're largely have been forgotten. You know, we think of them now as stereotypes in TV dramas. Right. But here's now all of this evidence you guys are uncovering, and with it, stories and people and interviews, and it, it paints a picture. And it it's, a, it's a little piece of American history. Yeah, and How, as you always say, it's, a, it's little stories telling a very big story. Right, right. And it turns out that, you know, maybe our iconography is a little bit off. Like, maybe we're investing too much in what we think these people are, because at, be, at the beginning, they're just regular guys, <clears> and <throat> like most people, they came from fucked up backgrounds. They they didn't like their own families, and they wanted to find a brotherhood uh, and, and create something that they could belong to and give meaning to. And they were they were young guys, right, Bo? They were generally in their late teens, early twenties when they were creating these things. Yeah, yeah. And the the guys that were around in the late fifties, early sixties were generally about twenty one, twenty two years old, twenty. So what <clears throat> what are the gangs that you're tracking right now? Of course, 
the Hell's Angels, right? Well, yeah, back back then they were really only... No, but I mean, but what you're collecting and, and what you're collecting. What what are those gangs, just for the well, listeners, they, so they, we understand what you're Angels, talking about? The Hells Angels, the Straight Satans, the Satan Slaves, the Galloping Goose, uh, the Coffin Cheaters. Why isn't it the Galloping Geese? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, you, you got to understand that... Okay, wait, the Coffin Cheaters, who else? Coffin Cheaters, the Road Regents, they weren't really a, a 1% club. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, there, there were very few legitimate clubs back, back okay. then. And, and what were, and what was the business of these clubs? What did they do? What, there, what? there was no, there was no business. This is the genesis of these clubs. This is before they became worldwide criminal organizations. Okay. No, they, but educate us about that because I don't think we know that. They they definitely were buying selling drugs, um, small quantities though, very small quantities. Right. And mainly stealing motorcycle parts. <laughs> so before I, I, they started, before they started running drugs, they this was just a social club, really. Yeah, it, in essence, I think you it was a survival just, club. <clears throat> yeah, I think you could say in this time period, uh, these guys uh, at the very beginning, I think they all had a love of choppers, which seems mm-hmm. strange to your average motorcycle buyer. You would get a Harley, and it would be a full bagger. It would have a lot of stuff on it: fenders, bags, whatnot. And these guys creative style, right, mm-hmm. of a chopper bow. Yeah, they, they invented it. This the, is uh, In the what, 50s. Yeah, it was very ahead of its time. And the style of these bikes was, was what, in a way, united them. Right. Um, they liked this certain style. Uh, and Do you, own, you guys own some of those choppers, yeah. right? So they essentially invented the chopper. They invented right. the chopper. Yeah, absolutely counter, did, yeah. Counter, counterculture motorcycle move that everybody's going, what are those guys up to? And, Which and, bikes do you have? I just got back from uh, basically two weeks on the road. I, I went to Chicago and bought a 1962 Panhead, but it's in a 1950s frame. It was – sorry. I'm sorry. It's a 1963 Panhead. It was built in 63 by Sonny Barton, who was the president of the Galloping Goose MC. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the way it was back then. Wow. And then uh, I went to Northern California and bought a Panhead with a sidecar that belonged to another member of the Galloping Goose – named uh, Robert Young, who was the first felon in U.S. history to be admitted to a state bar, and then he became a judge. And Zuckerman is what number? Yes. (laughs) He's the 11th. And you say, why would this guy with this intelligence become a member of the Galloping Goose? Well, let me give you a little little history here. His father... founded Jews for Jesus. His father was an Orthodox <laughs> rabbi that went into the camps in Germany and came out uh, and came out a Christian and there was a lot of alienation in that household. Mm-hmm. Nothing was fucking right, I think, in Bob in Bob Young's household and he wanted to get the, away from whatever his parents were doing and he fell in with a group that would that gave him a home and gave him a purpose. And I think that the way that, that his story works, and here's a story that tell, exemplifies the 60s. He's in, he's in prison for a felony, um, and I believe he saw Bobby Kennedy speak. Yeah. And he learned from – and Bobby Kennedy imparted in him that he could choose to change his life. That was, again, that moment in the 60s where there was a wellspring of hope, and he got out of prison – and he sat. He went to McGeorge uh, Law School, where they wouldn't admit him. And he sat in the dean's waiting room every day until they finally said, "Fuck it, okay, you can you can become a law student here." Uh, and and wow. I think that's that's his part, <clears throat> smallest part of his story. But again, you befriended him, Bo. You tracked him down, and you befriended him. Uh, and yeah, I was introduced to him. He, he was one of the guys that I didn't <clears throat> actually track down. I was introduced. Uh, 
to him by uh, Dougie Poo and Buzzard from the Purdue San Bernardino Hells Angels. And if you and Dougie Poo and Buzzard <laughs> are well known to anybody who read Hunter Thompson's book yeah. on the Hells Angels. Mm-hmm. You know, after the book, are those 16... the friendly Hells Angels guys? Yeah, they were. They were. <laughs> well, yeah. they... I don't know back then if they were that friendly, <clears throat> but. They certainly turned out to be friendly. But <clears throat> how does the Hells Angels, how do they feel about you owning this stuff, right? Because you have jackets, you have all of these items that belong to their history. Are they cool with that? Or are they who's, not? who's they? I don't know. The Hells Angels organization. I'm guessing like the, they're still the, intact. The current members hate what I have. Right. The former members love it because they've never had the opportunity to tell their stories. They've, they've right. never had... Yeah, they've, nobody's ever really been interested so in these their, guys, the, their the, the Hells Angels are still out there right now. Oh yeah, there are, <laughs> there's hundreds of chapters around the world. And and um, are they like UTA agents, and, <laughs> uh, managers here, or are they... I, th- I think it varies. I don't want to say <clears throat> bad things about all of them, but um, you're friendly with some of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm friendly with some of them. There's some of them understand. Some I think knee jerk mis- believe that you're misappropriating the right, history. Right. They don't get that you're trying to maintain history and 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 keep this stuff from ending up in the trash. Yeah, it's a really good point because yeah. it sounds like you know I've been watching you guys do this for the last year. It seems like this is headed towards uh, you know a museum, an exhibit. You know, a pe- it's a piece of Americana. Well, that, and- that's what we're working on right now. <clears throat> well, you have you have actual archivists in there working on it. Right. And cataloging it and putting it together and telling everybody, you know, figuring out what it is. Yeah. Paul, do you want to? I'll let you. I'll let you. Well, this it's is fascinating stuff because, you know, you, you came up, you showed up to the porch in Malibu at one point and you said, hey, check out this lighter, this little ornate lighter that had a little roach clip on it and then a Coke spoon and some other stuff and these inlays in it. And it was done by a guy named Andy, I think. Yeah. I, I don't recall. But it was such an intricate piece it reminded me of egyptian artifacts and i went what is this he said it's the hell's angel stuff and i said why it makes no sense to me but i could see it under a piece of plastic in a museum and re- and and, and <clears throat> you know want to read that story and i was fascinated by it There's, yeah, and, what and, are you guys doing okay, aside think, from amassing this massive well, collection i don't really know what we're doing again what what struck me when I met Bo was that this stuff needed to be organized so much. Bo had so much stuff <clears throat> in so many safes, so all over the place. And then he is an absolute, uh, you almost have a photographic memory for this stuff. So much is in your head about who's in these pictures, what, they're, what, what they were notable for, who they were related to, where they were. And I said, I, I said, Bo, this, this stuff needs to be cataloged. You need to get this stuff museum or university level archived. This is a mission that we agreed needed mm-hmm. to be done. And we have a former head of special collections at, at UCLA and her husband who are top-level archivists. They call themselves archivists, not <clears> archivists. <throat> I love the term of art. But they're archivists. T- they're top-level archivists, and they have agreed to leave their very important jobs in Boston. <laughs> this is how taken they are with the, with the substance of what Bo has found, that they are willing to leave what they thought were dream jobs to come to uh, the facility in Southern California, downtown area, and to spend, I believe, at least six months, two of them, six months, to get this stuff arranged and described. That's the term of art. Mm -hmm. And preserved. And then, I believe, once that's done, Bo can do whatever he wants with it. I think that I'd like to, for me, I'd like to see 
uh, the academics. There's a guy at the U- who was the chairman of the USC Huntington Library School of the West and Archive that absolutely he saw this some of the stuff and lost his mind. Mm-hmm. He said that his grad students read Hunter Thompson's. Um, book on the Hells Angels and discuss whether something will ever turn up. And not only did it turn up, it turned up in a way that he said he has never seen a lay person uh, accomplish something like this. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that stage one is, is to get it organized, to get it recorded, and then to look, take it then a step back from 40,000 feet and say, okay, is this a museum tour? Is this a documentary? Is this a story about Bo and one crazy guy's passion that creates, uh, you know, the history that is that is a key component to understanding, you know, post World War II, twentieth century? <clears throat> yeah. Here's a point that, that that Bo brought up to me that I like to make. You know, motorcycle gangs like the Hollister incident still has currency today almost 70-some-odd years later, or is it 82 years later? And that very weekend, that, and you know what Hollister is? It's when the booze fighters took over, supposedly took over the town July 4th weekend in 1947, and then Marlon Brando made a movie, a, a kind of a dramatization, fiction, fictionalization of this event, and it was called The Wild One. And today we still have son, uh, Sons of Anarchy and we have the Mayans. So this is a thread that's going through all of late 20th century till today. And it's that same weekend that the Roswell incident occurred. Mm-hmm. There's something about the fertility of, <laughs> of July 4th weekend, 1947, <laughs> that has captured, whether it be aliens or bikers. And, and we're still, you know, I don't know how many other ideas from 82 years ago still are valid. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what's going on, and we're trying to, to come up with at least a, a, some type of a structure for what is it now? Thirty thousand items. Yeah, I think we have about thirty thousand items. Well, wow. you've, you've been to the space. Yeah, no, it's amazing. The, yeah. the space ball. We have no. A- occasionally, you guys take pictures of it and throw it up on your Instagram. The, the, it's the, I've seen the gullwing down there. They got the old triumphs down there too. And there's some, you know. Does the space make sense to you when you see it? When you walked in there, what was your impression? No, it doesn't <laughs> at all. But that's not the, – the space isn't what that place is about. It's about what you guys have there, you know. Again, it's like I, having worked in entertainment for 30 years at this point, I know – I've seen people in the middle of great creative endeavors – where they don't know where they're going, they always lead to someplace great. It's always it's the best place to be when you're in the middle of something that's that's getting attention, but you don't know where it's going. That's perfection. That's what I see when I see you guys doing this. None of us know where it's going, but something is about to happen with it, and it's going to be great. Right? I, 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 I hope so. Because that's the greatest ago, creative endeavor there in... is to know exactly where you're going to be, and like this is going to be that. <laughs> you go, all right. Well, good luck. You guys are like holding on to a dragon by the tail, and it's it's dragging you along. Is that is that how you feel when you see it? Huh? Is yeah, it yeah. See... No. Yeah. yeah. Why else would I be doing an episode on it? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out say... too. <laughs> I'm trying to, but I can. You know, you, you, I'm sure people listening can go. You know, archivists from museum, we're hearing the stories inside. They, they're starting to put it together, too, and it'll find its little slot. You'll see. Well, anyway. if you, I think we have a break, and then I think Bo can play, the, tell you a little story about a guy called SoCal Ray and play a snippet of an interview. Yeah, I asked him to bring in a couple of these yeah. clips that I've enjoyed off his Instagram site, which, by the way, has been knocked off 
How many times by the Hells four, Angels? Four times. Well, not just the Hells Angels. Multiple clubs have shut it down. <laughs> Multiple clubs. So the, yeah, the, the, they the, organize and they complain. <laughs> Ten of us, let's write it to Instagram. And then they, you get knocked out. But you have the other site up now. It's Outlaw MCs. Outlaw MCs. Yeah. What's the backup, MCs. Account. backup that, account? The backup is at Outlaw MCs. Correct. And what is the primary account? Out, at Outlaw Archive. At Outlaw Archive, and that's shut down for now until we can it get it. It was shut down about eight months ago at 115,000 followers. But you have it back, and now you no, we don't know the backup. <clears throat> backup account, which what? has 19,000 Oh, you only have the backup. Yeah, up. we're yeah. trying to get the original account reinstated, but so many people were tagging <laughs> Bo's account as copyright or offensive. That, that, you know, there's very few people really copyright. edit. Copyright? It's yeah. just an Instagram. Well, I think that there's a... a Instagram is very sensitive to allegations of copyright. Right, right. Yeah. And that somehow, I think in their computer, para, uh, their algorithm, their algorithm, yeah, that knocks it down. And nobody, I think they have like three people reviewing these things for how many billions of users. So, yeah. so when, when it gets knocked down, it's down for a while until someone finally gets around and saying, there's no issue here. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we're going to take a break. When we come back... Um you know what Bo does? He puts a camera in the face of uh, these old bikers before they croak or their family members, and they're, they're telling stories. Uh, and someday we hope to turn it into a nice unscripted series, maybe premium unscripted for Netflix or something. But we're going to uh, – Or scripted. Or scripted. Or both. We're going to play uh, some of that for you in a minute right after this. You know what I love? I love my cats, Zazu and Jupiads. My kids named them. I didn't, but I still love them. You know what I don't love? Cleaning up after those cats. They're litter box, which is why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. There's no cloud of nasties when I scoop. It is 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes, and helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. New cloud control litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. All right. Welcome back to the Outlaw Archive. July 4th Independence Day episode of Spike's Car Radio. Hope you guys are having fun. Um, you brought some clips in. What do you have for us? Set it up, and then let's play some. Well, I, tracked, you, I tracked down a guy. But hold on. Oh. you gotta you got to set it up for everybody so they know what they're listening to. So uh, go ahead. You're about to listen to SoCal Ray, who was a straight Satan and a member of the SoCal Hells Angels. Uh, <laughs> he used to so smuggle could... drugs across the border from Mexico. And he belonged to two gangs? You could do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not, not at the same time. He, oh, different. He okay. switched from the straight Satans to the SoCal Hells Angels in 63. I love how these guys have this code of conduct. You guys showed me the rules of the individual clubs. And if you don't follow the rules, you're out. I mean, it's amazing to think that, that rule breakers have rules. <laughs> that rule breakers have rules, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It really a lot cracks. of rules for outlaws. Yeah, and a lot of writing of stuff down, and the, the the courtesy cards you guys have, which look like little business cards. What were those used for again? Well, we'll we'll play a, a clip of Ray okay, explaining good. that too. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Let's let's play this first clip. Are you got you got going to pull it up there? Yes. And this is uh, SoCal Ray. SoCal Ray. All right, and this is another guy that he and you, was in and, that Bo found when he was in his last year or two. And you just put a camera in his face or your phone? A camera, yeah. Okay. I, I uh, interviewed him. I think I used a five D. How old is he now? Or he's it, dead. He's yeah, dead. He passed away last year. Okay, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. I think this is the first clip I heard of you that really I started right, to understand what you guys were doing. Hold that up to the mic. Put it right on it's it. Very early 
60s, the San Diego County Sheriff smuggled heroin into the country for me. He was big on high lie and big on the dog races. His friend of mine would buy the heroin. I would stick it underneath the sheriff's hubcap in his car, and when he hit the border, it was just brush wave him through. He never got stopped once, and we would just be behind him. And he always had the same thing. He'd go to this bowling alley afterwards, park his car in the back, and go into the bowling alley and have dinner. Did it every Sunday night. And we'd just go pop his hubcap. Slip it right back on him. The first time we ever followed him across the border, we were right behind him. We had a, didn't have a clue. And it just popped into my head. Wouldn't it be slick if this sucker would bring it over for us? So we followed him. <laughs> oh, my God, I love that. I love that. He's following the sheriff over the border. It's like, we'll just make him bring it in because they're not going to stop him. How he, long did that go on for? I don't know. I didn't ask him. I, I know he did it for quite a while, but did you did, did you ever watch the clip or hear the clip of, of when he would personally smuggle the drugs over? No. Well, here, let me play it for you. I used to smuggle drugs in from Mexico. Of course, Bert would pay for the drugs and I would smuggle them. <laughs> I used to get married down there about once a month. You were married 11 <laughs> times, actually. Well, as long as you don't register them in San Diego, it, was a, it wasn't legal. I just made sure nobody ever registered in San Diego. And we come through there going, woo, woo, into this marriage certificate. And the guy at the border just brushes through. Go right on ahead. Happy couple. One day we did it. There was Frenchie, Bert, myself, and Lee. And we were so fucked up when we crossed the border. We're going to pull this thing off, and we're wearing colors. Now, Frenchie had been in a bad fire when he was a kid, and his, his skull had been burned, and he had a bad ball spot up there. But he had this, this hairpiece that covered it pretty good. So I keep trying to talk him into putting it under his hairpiece, because you know, no one will ever see it. So we'll just flatten it out, tape it up there, and we'll think it'll be fine. But I ended up sticking it up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> How much heroin are they bringing? And not much, right? Just a little bit. I hope not. <laughs> See, what, what most people don't realize is that what I'm doing really isn't necessarily about the clubs. It's about the people and their personal stories. Yeah, the things no, that they were doing. It's amazing. You can visualize it as he's talking about it. You want to watch that scene. And, and Ray, is, you know, Ray, takes a, Ray is a great rock tour. He was a great rock tour. And really kind of a vivacious guy when he's telling these stories. But he also told Bo a lot of stories about growing up in Santa Monica, it, it, you know, post-World War II. He was very – or in the, in the late 30s, early 40s. 1950s. Yeah, and yeah. he was in the poorest family in the industrial section on Olympic. His father would beat the fuck out of him every day. He tells a story that he, he actually failed gym. Because he couldn't take his clothes off because he was black and blue, mm-hmm. and um, he acquired he acquired his first gun at nine years old. Yeah, so his and he looks back and he says, you know, it was it was a sad childhood that he never could have a friend because once the friend's parents found out, you know, who his family was and where they lived, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he remembers telling kids, you know, in elementary school when they said, oh, you 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 know, I can't come over to your house, I can't talk to you. Say that's okay, I understand. Uh, it was kind of heartbreaking, and I yeah, think yeah. his brother, what his brother, shot up the house at what as a 
I, th- I think his brother was was 14 years old, and and, and Ray was in- shot. Tried to shoot the entire family. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> at breakfast, you know, the guy didn't have a chance. Uh, and, yeah. and he found you know a family a meaning. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm trying to make too much out of it, but you know, there's a, there is you know, it's it kind of listening to his stories of his childhood kind of heartbreaking and sad. I don't know if you felt that way, Bo. Oh, of course I felt that way. But um, his, the stories from later on in his life are just the, probably some of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my life. And I think you'll agree. So what what does the collection mostly have? Like, what is your number one type of thing? Is it the jackets? Is no, it no. That, that's or? that's what collectors have always been after, the, the colors, the jackets. Right, but right. I, photo albums and paper ephemera, mm-hmm. letters from prison, um, Letters to wives, letters, letters yeah, to breaking up to mm-hmm. yeah, the wives writing back and breaking up. The, the, tell me about the courtesy card because I, I like that little thing that they did. What, how did it function? What was its purpose? Forget about the clip. Just tell okay, me. Okay. Well, the courtesy card, it, there were multiple purposes. It, initially, they were used to basically if they would help a stranded motorist, they would give them this card that said you've been assisted by whatever club it is. And then <laughs> is that what they did? They helped stranded motorists. Yeah, yeah, in the right. early days, of and course. It's a, it's yeah. a little, it's a little business card, like a, it's, and it's again beautifully designed thing but, with that, a little line for you to write your name. People didn't right, have individual with a blank cards. Line, right, a blank line. You've been so assisted you, by, and then the member signs do, it. Okay, and, from the Hell's uh, Angels. Yes, or, or whatever, whatever club. club. Okay, yeah, and then right. uh, they would give it to a, a hot girl. Okay. Um, if they beat somebody up, they would throw a card on them. <laughs> uh, the SoCal Hell's Angels actually had a car- have they had cards that said, uh, "You've been scarfed and stomped by a SoCal <laughs> Hell's Angel." Um, and then if if there was somebody in their neighborhood who they liked and uh, they wanted to protect, they would give them a card and say, they would say, "If you know, if you, if you ever get hassled, just show the person this card." Really? Yeah. And that would work. Oh yeah. Oh Zuckerman, that would have been good. Probably for even us, the right? cops too back in Venice. Yeah, wow. It's so interesting. I wonder who made their cards. Well, we we, <laughs> we know if we And by the way, I, yeah, how do you find those? So now that you've got the courtesy cards, were they the ones that were handed out or did somebody have a no, box of unused m- ones in the closet? No, no, members would would um give them to each other. They would cl- they would collect each other's cards For as like mementos. Cards. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like these are all the members of the club. So they would try right. to get as many as they could. And in general, were these guys, did they have day jobs or not? Uh, depends. Some of them did, yeah, of course. It depends on every chapter and every club had their own kind of aesthetic and mm-hmm. lifestyle, basically. Who was the most violent club? Uh, the, the Satan Slaves. And why? What were they doing? Uh, anything violent and terrible. In the 1970s, they were, along with the Hells Angels, blowing up buildings <laughs> They were getting, I think, two, they, they somehow got 2,000 pounds of dynamite um, and started blowing up buildings and funerals. But why? And wait, they, wait, wait. They were back getting up. guns with no numbers on them, machine back, guns. Back up, back up. Why are, why are we blowing up buildings? buildings they went are... to war with the Mongols. Okay. See, this is a period that I have stuff from this period, the 1970s, but I'm more interested in the early days before right. it became this. Obviously, it's a fascinating period, the 70s, but... So they're at war with another bike gang, yeah. and they decide we're going to start blowing up their buildings. So they get TNT. Yes. And 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 funerals for these other guys, too. Yes. And what do they do? Do they put it inside? I mean, <laughs> the <laughs> Mongols' funeral that they tried to bomb – well, they did bomb, but it didn't hurt anybody. Um, they 
had a they had somebody deliver 100 red and white roses inside the funeral. They had parked their car outside, walked inside, delivered the flowers, walked away, and as they walked away, the car exploded. Ah. Right. But it just blew up outside in the it parking lot. It blew up lot. outside. Yeah, yeah. Not a good plan. Yeah. Maybe put the dynamite in the roses. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that would have, would have done it. And what it. was the significance of the roses in those colors? Red and white is the Hells Angels colors. Right, right. No cards there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is fascinating stuff, isn't it, Zuckerman? I, well, listen, I, I always love it. And who, who doesn't like to have a. a I just find, like, any of the recent analog past is wonderful to me. You know I always say on the show, I wish I was left behind. I don't like this digital world, and I'm Mm -hmm. fascinated by how do these guys come together in a pre-internet world and and birds of a feather find each other and create this culture. I don't think that there were ads anywhere that said, "Hey, if you if you want to be in an outlaw motorcycle club, go to the Blue Blaze in Fontana. We're accepting applications." It wasn't it wasn't like the fucking Soho House, right? right. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, Can you, you write ha- me a letter of recommendation? Yeah, you had to you had to somehow find your way in, and I don't. You know, it's it, to me. How did they find their ways? I don't know. I don't know. You know, this is a, this is something we're trying to figure out is like, you know, and, and, you know, it's like when Ray tells a story of like how he got in, he says, well, I don't know. I was divorced and I had a motorcycle. I had nothing better to do. I saw some guys. I started hanging around with them. And, and that's how it took off. Um, I don't know if I find that, you know, very satisfying answer. I, I would like to ascribe more meaning to how these guys did this. Well, do we need to take another break? We're going to do that. And then when we come back, we're going to open this big box you have on the table here. We'll be right back with Spikes Car Radio. Think of all the weird things you find in cars. I find Zuckerman's green teas all over the place. Zuckerman, please stop doing that. I'm not talking about your garden variety petrified french fries or melted crayons. I'm talking about snakes, bizarre trinkets, the kind of stuff that just makes you wonder about folks. Another thing that makes you wonder, but in a good way, are Continental Belts. Bet you didn't know they're OE in tens of millions of Chrysler, Dodge, Ford, and GM vehicles that roll off the assembly line. They're also OE on the majority of BMWs and VWs. Now Continental is launching the aftermarket multi-V belt with the OE pedigree. It's their OE technology series. Belts that are fanatically engineered for perfect fit, form, and function. And Continental has an OE Technology Series Multi-V belt for 98% of the vehicles on the road in the U.S. and Canada. That's Canada. Hey, you get enough surprises working on cars and trucks. A belt should not be one of them. Go with the Continental OE Technology Series Multi-V belt. The belt with the OE pedigree. To get the full story, visit oetechnologyseries.com. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. We're back, Spikes Car Radio. You guys have a big box here on the table. Looks like a uh, something a wedding cake would be in. But it's an I... archival box, acid-free. Oh, that's what that is. Okay. Yes. Put it know. put it in the center of the, t- uh, the table in, here. I'll put it in the center. We'll and take I'll some let pictures. Bo determine what how he wants to describe what is in there. Well, inside the box, there's three sets of colors. There's straight Satan's colors from the '60s. What there's... does that mean? Colors. Colors is that that's their the vest with the patch on it is their their colors. Okay. Some people call it a cutoff. Some people call it a cut. Yeah, a wow, cut, but it's really this. just a set of colors. So wow. Uh, there's for the viewers who can't see this right now, the Hell's Angels uh, colors from San Bernardino. They belong to my friend Gut. Is this a uh, Levi's vest? That's a Levi's Type so, Two from wow. the 1950s. Vest. Okay. Now, if I 
put this vest on and drove around in my Triumph this weekend, what you would happen You would be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. You would, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> For real. That I would get stomped. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the cops would pull you over and most really? likely take it from you. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Look at this thing. It's lovely. Yeah, it's, it's really it's cool. Beautiful. It Who made a... the decals? Who did all the embroidery? A woman named Betty made their patches. Isn't she it was... crazy how he knows yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect an answer to that. Who's Betty, Betty? Betty was based out of San Bernardino, California. She uh, made the very first Hells Angels patch in 1951. And uh, most people think the club started in 48, but it was 1951. And uh, she continued to make their patches pretty much until she died. Wow. In she the was nine, Betty's Western wear. It's like Betsy Ross, yes. except it's Betty. <laughs> <laughs> she made the patches for all the local car clubs, motorcycle clubs, mm-hmm. bowling <clears throat> Did clubs. she come up with the logos herself? Did she? No, no, no. I would love to be in on that meeting with the motorcycle gang guys going, all right, no, let's move the skull a little down and not so smiley-faced. We actually have a little, what's left of her archive, sorry. Yeah, the the skull wasn't standardized initially, was it? Uh, Well, what do you mean standardized? Well, initially there were different size uh, flying death's heads and skulls. The the clubs had chapters. It wasn't different size. The uh, different chapters had, like the San Francisco chapter had a heart for an eye Uh and the... North Sacramento chapter had a noose connected to the eye, mm-hmm. which this one has because he was originally in Sacramento before joining Purdue. And then SoCal, um, they started in 1956. They had a larger death head, which most people associate with the club today. That's uh, what death Sonny, head. yeah, the death head, which is what Sonny Barger uh, took to the Oakland chapter mm-hmm. and made it the club's <clears throat> logo. You know, you can see this stuff. You can't let. Uh, Maxwell or Fred Siegel get their hands on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maxfield tried to. Uh, we were talking right? about the, the Andy Zeppos earlier. They, you just see the fashion world trying to grab all of this crap. Yeah. Just keep it out of their hands, right? I can already see the skinny models with the Hell's Angels vest on going, it, this is the latest fashion. A, a this very, is the latest lighter. A very large clothing company um, approached Bo at one point and said, we will pay you all of this money to have everything just as inspiration. Yeah, and, and Bo said, "No, that that's not going to happen. Even if you, I think you needed the money pretty bad." Well, they can do out. they can do that when they see it in a museum. They can walk through the museum and take their notes then. But yeah, keep it out of their hands. It's amazing. And and Gut Turk was somebody that had disappeared for many many years, um, and you became friends with him much later in his in his life. But he just was, tell everybody who that is. Gut Gut Turk was a, a Hell's Angel who became one of Ken Kesey's Merry Pranksters. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who don't know what that means, Ken Kesey authored the book uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and he had a group of interesting characters in San Francisco in the 1960s who did experiments with LSD, and they rode around the country in a psychedelic painted bus. Um, and then Gut became an – well, he was already an artist. He did a lot of the art for the Merry Pranksters, but then he became a rock and roll artist. He designed the first uh, – T-shirt and bumper sticker for the Grateful Dead. Uh, he was Jefferson Airplane's creative director, and he managed a band called Blue Cheer and also did their art. So just pretty amazing 1960s character. What else do you have? We have two albums here. It probably represents 1% of the uh, collection, no okay. pun intended. But one of them is kind of a highlight reel, if you will, for uh, the Hells Angels collection. It goes through all the different chapters and so it's film 
No, no, it's it's photographs and letters and and I'll, I'll cards. So we can look memorabilia. Oh, that's the other one. That's the. Oh my God, Satan slaves! It looks like there's some things in this one that we can't discuss. <laughs> I love. Why? <laughs> because I signed non-disclosure agreements with certain people okay. to buy certain I things. I understand. I understand. Now, is this some of the work of the archivist? No, these this numbers? is this is uh, my work. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Well, you're an archivist too, then. Look at that. So it goes Boy, through all the different. We're looking at a lot of pictures here. Yeah, there's it's photos, original art for under... the uh, the larger death head from the 1950s, like the actual original art, mm-hmm. the original pattern for the chain stitch machine for the California bottom rocker. Wow, look at that. Because they initially would wear their local cities on the bottom of the vest, which is the bottom rocker, mm-hmm. and then they took over California. Is that why this this vest is double-stitched, because somebody moved from one place to the other? Yeah, the bottom of it is North Sacramento, and then on top is Purdue, which is uh, San Bernardino. Wow. And Diego Diego was San Diego. Yes, Frisco was San Francisco. Well, this stuff is... uh... It's amazing. What did you guys do? Spill some water. Spill some water. Don't spill it on... Who cares if it spills here? Just don't spill it on this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and then there's there's things like I said wow, we can't we can't discuss. There's photo album here. It's amazing. There's uh, the key to <clears throat> the last North Sacramento Hell's Angels clubhouse from 1964 wow. uh, that belonged to the founder of the North Sacramento Hell's Angels. There's a poem to his wife from prison in 1961. <laughs> prison poems. There's Wait, her... read read the first stanza of the prison poem. Here, go ahead. I want to read the prison poem. And then you can read the first the first <clears throat> sentence of her letter back. <laughs> really? I think of you, my darling, both night and in the day, exclamation point. In this, my, I don't know what Something he's saying. prison cell. My lonely cell, or when far away. Okay. Oh, that's that was written sweet. by Mother Miles. This is from, from in 1961, Jim. and he, so he's, he's one of the characters in Hunter S. Right. Thompson's and book. And now you have her response letter. No, that's her breakup letter to him in 1964. Dear Jim, I hate to have to sneak out like this again. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's horrible. Right, right after the poem, no, she no, dumps no, him. That's three years. Oh later. my God! Well, we're going to tighten that up because that's a good cut from poem to breakup. Because yes. that's how it happens when you're in the joint. And then the next letter was his eulogy. Well, um, she died in what year? In '66. I, I could, I could uh, stay here all day long and there's look at this stuff little, and talk about this there's stuff. There's one little we're... thing that's very notable in the other album. Yes, go ahead quickly, though, Zach, because we I'll have show to wrap this up. To you, there's a lock of hair and a little receipt. Oh my God! Here, take that see. and take a look at it. It's a little lock of red hair. Yeah, that's a contract like between fun. a member of the Satan Slaves and a very famous within this world of Hell's Angels, a guy named Terry the Tramp, and. Uh, the Satan slave sold Terry the Tramp a woman for 40 cents, and there's a contract signed by both parties and a witness, and a lock of her hair as proof. Really? And somehow somebody that's kept that. A, that's her hair? That's her hair. It I think like it was Pippi from 1966. Long, it looks like Pippi Longstocking's hair. It's red and shiny sold like tramp copper for wire. The, for the amount of 40 cents. Pam, young, big, redhead, signed 1166 oh, yeah, yeah. by the parties involved. Wow. Uh, and, how that, and how that exists today, 53 years late, I really don't know. How does that exist? I don't know. And there it is. Well, gentlemen, it's fascinating stuff. 
If you want to keep up with what these guys are doing, you want to go where on Instagram? Outlaw. Right now it's at Outlaw MCs, and hopefully we'll get at Outlaw Archive back. At Outlaw MCs, and you'll see what they're doing. There's uh, big stuff in store for the Outlaw Archive. Bo, thank you for coming on the show. Zuckerman. Thank you for bringing this to us. It's uh, it's fascinating stuff. You and I have to get out on those bikes soon. I want to. I want to. We should probably do that this weekend. That's a good Fourth of July thing for us to do. They'll you, be running next week. Yeah, you and I, you Zuckerman, a, on choppers. You you'll ride Papa Ralph's bike. <laughs> you know how to ride, right? Yeah, of course. We'll go go around. Papa the Ralph's block. bike is a ten second quarter mile. Harley, yeah, Harley. I want to do it. I love it. It sounds amazing. And uh, all of you, I hope you have a wonderful Independence Day. Uh, Stay safe, drive your cars, and we'll see you next week on Spikes Car Radio. Real quick before we go, True Car has been a proud supporter of Spikes Car Radio for years. So we want to partner with them to hear all about your True Car experience. And you may even get an Amazon gift card to kick off your summer. How about that? We want to hear all about your True Car shopping experience. So send us an email to truecar at podcastone.com. And tell us all about your shopping experience with True Car. The first 200 people to email will receive a $20 Amazon gift card. Oh, my God, we're giving away $20 Amazon gift cards. All you have to do is write truecar at podcastone.com and tell us about your shopping experience with TrueCar. Get to it. We can't wait to hear from you. And thanks again to Arm & Hammer, who created New Cloud Control Litter, for sponsoring today's episode. There's no cloud of horrible, dirty dust when I scoop. It's 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes, and helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens to the litter box stays in the litter box, not in your lungs! New Cloud Control Cat Litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Thanks for listening to Spikes Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. It was a crime no one expected and one many can't forget. 22 Hours, an American Nightmare, a new podcast from WTOP News and Podcast One, details the heinous murders of a D.C. power couple, their 10-year-old son, and housekeeper inside their own home. The complicated trail of evidence. She thinks she knows how Darren Wint got inside the house. Oh my God, I saw Amy yesterday. And shocking moments from the trial. His defense team drops a bombshell. Will this investigation lead to the release of confidential audio recordings from the case? So it's under general counsel review. I mean, I'm committing to making a transparent court. 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts today.